0: I want us to understand that being Christian should precede doing Christian. I should, and what is integrity? Integrity is being the same on the outside as I am on the inside. So if I'm an angry, messed up person on the inside, and I express my anger and my messed upness, is that integrity? Yeah, it really is. (laughs) It really is. I'm not trying to fake you out. This is what I am on the inside, and I'm not trying to fake you out. However, if I'm angry and bitter and resentful and a mess on the inside, and I present to you this happy face, is that integrity? No, no. It's false because it's not what I am on the inside. So I want us to be people of integrity that has... Have have you ever talked to an engineer? Any engineers here? Okay, engineers. What is structural integrity, Bill? Right. Okay. It has an internal framework that expresses what the outside is. Okay. And that's what integrity for us is. We have an internal framework of Christianity that expresses itself on the outside. Integrity happens when I'm the same on the inside as I am on the outside. Now, I'm not giving you guys permission to go crazy and be angry and stuff. Okay. Yeah. You know, Cause that's what you are on the inside. What I want you to do is be something, be Christian, and how do you know if somebody's a Christian? Because they have these acts of piety. They come to church, they read their Bible, they do all that stuff. Is that true? Not necessarily. Sure. Did you know that somebody that's just all messed up on the inside and doesn't know Jesus Christ from uh, me could go to church, they could appear to pray, they could read their Bible, they could do all that stuff, but not be a Christian? Being a Christ follower is what I'm talking about. True? True. Now, what I want us to do, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I grew up in a church that was kind of like that. It was all about behavior. And I, I grew up as a kid in this church. And, of course, as a kid, you know, it's all about behavior. You know, parents, what do we do to our kids? We want them to behave right. And we somehow think that if, we, that if they behave right, they will be right. Okay. Yeah, now, I'm going to just say, how many of you ever been involved in a multi-level marketing organization? OK, most of us probably have. Have you ever heard the phrase, fake it till you make it? Act on the outside like you want to be on the inside. How does it work? I'm going to suggest to you it's probably not very good because it lacks what we call integrity. OK, fake it till you make it. I don't know how you do that because, you know, you're doing the external thing without the internal change. Christianity is a life-transforming experience where you change the inside. And how do you know if your inside has been changed? There's one telltale sign, and that is when my desires change. You know why we act impatient when we're trying to be patient? Because our inside desires have not changed. Now, what changes, what needs to change to change the inside and be patient? The heart. Okay. And I'm going to suggest two things. What do you believe? Who do you trust? Two things. I ask that question all the time. In fact, when people come to me and they want to say, hey, I've got this thing going on in my life, that's the first two questions I'll ask them. What do you believe and who do you trust? So therefore, when it comes to patience, who do I trust? Usually me or my spouse. You know, If Cindy's messing up and she's making me unhappy, what do I want to do? I want to straighten her out, right? And I become very impatient when she doesn't straighten out. Now, yeah, I know. Good luck with that. Rob, you're not even married, man. Insightful man. (laughs) Gus, what's our phrase? Happy. Happy happy There you go. Okay. Now, now I know that to be true. And so therefore, you know, uh, I want, but I want change, don't I? Now, what happens though, if I understand that God has placed Cindy in my life to kind of take care of me, and maybe knock off some of my rough edges. Have you ever heard the phrase heavenly sandpaper? Okay, Sometimes God places people in our lives to be that heavenly sandpaper to knock off our rough edges. Rather than me change them to be whatever I want them to be and make my life happy, maybe God wants me to be, have some of my rough edges knocked off, and that's why he's asked Cindy, or instructed Cindy, or empowered Cindy, uh, to do whatever it is that I think needs to change. So therefore, God's working on my inside. Patience happens when I trust God's sovereignty, because if you believe that God is in charge, you have to say, okay, he's in charge of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so therefore, he's in charge. I am not. And when I get to that point, I realize, oh man, I can rest. I can rest because God is in charge, and I can be patient. Now, I say all that to say we're going to talk about fasting today. (laughs) Now, we're going to make a big turn here, but I want you to know that fasting is one of the expressions of Hebrew piety. There's three expressions of piety that the Hebrew people exercised, whether they were, whether they were close to God or whether they were not. One of them was that they would give alms to the poor. Okay. The other was that they would pray. The third one was that they would fast. Now, if you read through scripture, you find Jesus addressing all of these issues. Because he knew that people could go out and pray in public and have people say, wow, that person must really be close to God. Because look at the way they're praying. Okay? He addresses that issue. He also addresses the issue of giving alms to the poor. Don't do it because you will get benefit. Do it because they will get benefit. He also addresses fasting. And that's the one we want to talk about today. Because when people fast, how do you know? They'll tell you. They'll tell you, uh, many people will tell you that they're fasting. Maybe not with their words, but have you ever seen somebody, you know, and and here's, and not so much today, but in the Hebrew times, in the the times of the Jewish people, the first century church, the Jewish people would go around and they would want people to know of their piety. So if they didn't show you that they were fasting, they would not appear pious. So they would go around with the hang dog look, you know, oh gosh, oh boy. I'm really hungry today, and oh gosh, I don't know, it's just, you know, uh, but you know, I'm doing it for God, and and I'm really pleased with what he's doing in my life, and blah, blah, blah. And they would let people know, okay, Jesus kind of says, don't do that, you know, don't let, don't don't do that, and we're going to find that here. But I want to bring your attention to Acts chapter 13, because this is where we find ourselves in our study of the book of Acts, and here's what it says. Now, in the church at Antioch, what do we, what have we learned about the church in Antioch? It was made up of who? A lot of Gentiles. Okay, a lot of Gentiles, okay? And uh, there were prophets and teachers. Now, this is a bustling church. It's a really a well-functioning church. And it gives some names here of the people that are involved. One of them is Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius Cyrene, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, What he names there in Antioch are the heavy hitters of the faith. These guys are teachers, they're prophets. They are top dogs. And so this church is well-staffed. And so I want you to know that. But notice the next verse in verse number two. While they were worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Verse number three. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, God answers a prayer here, right? It says after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on these guys and said, hey, you're going to be guys that are going to represent God to the rest of the world. And in fact, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll find that they go on three different missionary journeys, establish churches all throughout Asia and Europe, and they get the acclamation of just about nobody. Because the Jewish people were really upset about the growth and the proliferation of the of the Christian church. And so they're out there, they're doing this thing because they had the power of God through the Holy Spirit upon them to do it. Now, the church here apparently prays for something, but it doesn't disclose what that prayer is. It says, after they fasted and prayed, wouldn't you like to know what they said? What did they say? You know, and if I could maybe tap into the power of the Holy Spirit of God, I would say those same words. There was this this craze that went on, uh, and it was the the prayer of Jabez. The prayer of Jabez. It was about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And there's this obscure passage in the Old Testament in which Jabez prays. And he prays, and he says, God, increase my influence, increase my territory, and, and God did it. And so there was this whole thing. And I remember there's these publishing companies that came out with study guides and videos and everything. How to pray the prayer of Jabez, because check it out. This happened and boom, God blessed him. Does praying rote prayers like that obligate God to do anything? No. What does God honor in prayer? He honors our heart. The intent. He honors our heart. Now, does God honor the intent if our intentions are opposite his? Yes. No. Only when they're in harmony with his. Yes. Okay? So therefore, it's important for us when we pray to know the heart of God. And how do you know the heart of God? Well, you read the Bible. And if you don't read the Bible, you'll never know what the heart of God is. You're going to hear people talk about how punitive he is. Okay? And is God punitive? Is he judgmental? Here. It, does God exercise judgment? Okay? Is that judgmental? But not improperly judgmental, is it? It's based on truth. Okay? And if we judge things based on what's really true, isn't that just called discernment? I know what's true and I'm going to abide by that. Okay? So God does exercise judgment, but people will say he's a judgmental person because I don't agree with what he judges. I don't agree with what he determines to be a punishable sin. I don't agree with what he thinks about this and about that. And so therefore we get kind of messed up. So now we're going to get back to to fasting because prayer and fasting kind of go hand in hand. And so let's take a look real quick. And I'm going to try to be brief today. (laughs) I already have not been, but I, I want to, I want to speed things up here. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that, and I want you to fill in the blanks here, that brings focus to my life. Sometimes when we have a variety of things going on, one of the best things we can do is simplify. Have you ever gone through a simplification process? You, you know, Life just gets too muddy. Life just gets too fragmented. Life gets too expansive. And I just need to simplify things. I need to maybe be involved in less things so that I can focus on the best things. Okay. You know what? I believe that Satan leads us down the road sometimes of the good. Yes. There's a lot of good things that you could be involved in. But sometimes the pursuit of the good is the enemy of the best. It prevents you from focusing your entire energies on what is best. And fasting helps me to focus my life on what is best. It simplifies things, okay? Because it puts me in a frame of mind, and we're going to find out here, puts me in a frame of mind that is attentive to God's leadership, okay? Number two, fasting is a spiritual discipline that enhances your spiritual sensitivity, now, I don't know how it works, and it's, and it's not magic, but sometimes when I deny myself certain things, it allows me to pick up my cross and follow Christ. In fact, Jesus says what? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Christ. Okay. Then what is it that drives you most? And I'll say this. What drives you most often? I'm just going to say my hunger. You know, how many people know that I like chocolate cake? Okay, yeah, everybody does, you know. It's, it's, and, and that drives me sometimes, you know, it drives me. But I want you to know that uh, since Rufina Uguy's uh, service, Cindy brought home this chocolate cake. And I have not had a bite of it. That's Pretty impressive, huh? I had some over at Sue's house, and don't tell Cindy, but, you know. And, now, here, and I'm just going to say this, this is kind of a side note, you don't have to pay extra for this. Now, How many of you have heard me say that chocolate cake is one of my big downfalls? However, whenever we have a meal, invariably someone will come up and say, Hey, I brought you a chocolate cake. I'm just saying. It enhances your spiritual sensitivity. Are you asking? Sometimes I beg even better than that, Marty. Okay, number three. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that positions me to connect with God. Because when I abstain from eating, I'm going to do something else. It is not watch TV. Okay? Don't use the time just to indulge your, you know, your pleasures or whatever it is. Spend the time and substitute that and say, you know what? I want to I specially attune my spiritual sensitivities to God and I want to connect with Him. How do you know when you've connected with God? Okay, when you feel good about what you're doing, I feel good when I eat chocolate cake. I want you to know that, you know, so that's that that might be a good measure, kind of, but not always. Okay, you'll know that you've connected with God when you hear him. When you hear him. How do you hear God? I'm going to say there's three ways. Listen. Yeah. Number one, listen. Number three, how has God revealed himself? Number one, he's revealed himself in what he has made. Okay, what he's made. When you see nature, when you see the beauty of nature, you, see, you, know, you say, wow, there's a God that created this stuff. When I see the human body, I'll be careful what I say here. When I see the complexity of the human body, when I look at an eye, for example, I say, there's a God. That could not just happen. I, it takes too much faith for me to believe that I am just the product of a bunch of abnormalities that occurred that made me better. Most of the time, the abnormalities that I experience make me worse. (laughs) Only when we discuss evolution does abnormality and mutation work for the good. So it's hard for me to believe that I am here talking to you. You're understanding me. You hear me. You see me. If you get close enough, you could smell me. (laughs) And therefore... And I do smell good today. And therefore, you know, we have some ability to say, when I see something that looks like there's a design, okay, there's a design, I have hearing ability, I have sight ability, I have senses that can that do stuff. I have to say, if when I see design, I think there must be a designer. Okay, My eyes were designed to what? See. My ears were designed to hear. And to think that it just happened is hard for me. So therefore, it helps me to connect with God. So when I see that kind of stuff, I say, there's a God. The second way, I have a bad finger. The second way that he reveals himself is through his word, Okay, the Bible. When I read the Bible, I find out more about the character of God, what he's concerned about, the things that he wants to see happen. I see two things when I read the Bible. Number one, I see me. I see me as uh, the creation of God. I see me as uh, somebody that wanted to go my own way, exercise my own intellectual abilities. And some of those intellectual abilities and some of those conclusions I drew were contrary to what God says. Okay? So therefore, I understand about me. I'm kind of a selfish sucker. Okay? I don't know about you. How many of you would say, I'm with you, Pastor Mike, I'm kind of selfish. <laughs> okay, I've got a couple of honest people. Okay, good, because I'm kind of selfish. I, wanna, I want things my way. I want to design the world how I see it and say, eh, I like that. But the Bible also reveals who God is. And when I put those two things together and re- realize me and my selfishness, which the Bible clearly reveals, I'm pretty self-centered, and reveals God and who he is, I say there's a pretty big disparity between those two things. How do I reconcile those two things? Three questions I want you to answer in life, okay? You might want to jot these down. Number one, where did we come from as human beings? Where did we come from? Okay, this will help you to develop your worldview, your worldview. And I'm not telling you you have to say, oh, I believe we're creations. I just want you to define what your worldview is, okay? Where did we come from? Number two, what went wrong? Why is there evil in the world? Okay, what went wrong? And number three, how do we fix that? Okay, now, some people would say, I'm a product of evolution, right? And so, therefore, uh, what went wrong? Since we are the top of the, of the evolutionary chain, we are the most intelligent, we are the most responsible, and therefore, we have responsibility to do stuff. So, we have to ask the question, what went wrong? Well, I don't know. How do, okay, Greed. Now, if we are the top of the food chain, greed went wrong. And so, therefore, some people have and some people don't, right? Okay, and so there's a disparity of uh, wealth. Okay, some people have it, some people don't. Now, what's the solution to that? Yeah, okay, well, there's a variety of, of solutions. There's socialism. We just put it all in the government pot and they give us what we need. Okay, there's that solution. There's unemployment. Okay, that's a solution. There's welfare. There's that solution. And I'm just going to ask of those three solutions I've mentioned there, how have those worked out? They have not. Okay, now, if they have not worked, is that the solution? No, there's got to be something else, right? And if greed is the thing that went wrong, we have to maybe redefine what went wrong. So we go back and we say, okay, well, it's not really greed as much as it is intelligence. If everybody was equally intelligent, and then we could all agree on what intelligence should teach us, then intelligence is the solution. So we pour our money into what? Education. Pour our money into education and as we come out of college, now we all agree. No, we don't all agree, do we? In fact, has it eliminated the stuff that went wrong? Some, you know, when you think back in the uh, a couple of a decade or so ago, Uh, in 2000, mid to early 2000s, there was a lot of rampant corporate thievery going on, right? And those guys were some of the most intelligent people in the world. So what I've discovered is that intelligence doesn't solve the problem. It just makes you more savvy and maybe more likely to get away with it. But it doesn't solve the problem. So I have to say, and I want you to go through this exercise this next week. Okay, where did we come from? What went wrong? How do we solve that? And it'll give you your worldview. Okay, number four. Um, I want you to connect with God over that as well. Number four, um, uh, fasting is a discipline that purposely offers sacrifice. Okay. Now, what does what does God say that He prefers even more than sacrifice? Starts with an M and it ends with mercy. Mercy. There you go. Yeah. Okay, he desires mercy more than sacrifice. However, when we come to offer our offering of sacrifice, what do we find that we get when we do that? We'll find that we're more merciful. Because when I sacrifice my wants, my desires, my mindset, what I think is right and wrong to God, and he then transforms me to think differently, you know, and think according to his agenda, then... I say, you know, these people don't necessarily get what they deserve, but I want them to have mercy. Because that's one of the things that needs to transform in my life, this thought that people always get what they deserve. Not necessarily true. Therefore, I want them to have mercy. Number five, um, fasting is a spiritual discipline that brings God's will into focus, not mine. When I fast, I'm not trying to convince God of my rightness. Okay. And some people I've seen their fasting, they say, you know, I want to see this happen in my life, or I want to see that happen in my life, and I'm going to fast. And I always ask them, I say, are you trying to change God's mind by your fasting? No, that's not the intent. The intent is to change my mind to be in harmony with his, not change his mind to be in harmony with me. Well, let's take a real quick look here at what the Bible has to say about fasting. And we're going to just jet through these real quick. Number one, Jesus gave instructions about fasting. Did you know that? In Matthew 6, 16 through 18, he says, when you fast, notice what he does not say. He does not say, if you fast, he says, when you fast with this idea that you're going to do it. He says, when you fast, do not look, and here's his instructions, because what did the Jewish people do to express their piety? Well, they looked very somber when they were when they were fasting. They looked hungry. They looked very kind of down. And you might feel that way when you fast, but he says, don't let your face know that. Okay, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Now, what what does he say here about hypocrites? He says, they do stuff to bring attention to themselves. They do stuff to bring attention to themselves. Their piety draws attention to themselves rather than attention to God. Okay? So he says, don't do it like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Now, how do you disfigure your face? (laughs) Thank you, Kim. It's just, oh, poor me. I'm just kind of hungry. And I'm, you know, I'm being, uh, you know, I'd really like to eat, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm serving God. Hallelujah. Some of the times, you know, C.H. Spurgeon, he was, he was teaching a seminary class to preachers. And uh, he, says, he says, I want your faces to reflect what you're really teaching, what you're talking about. He says, when you talk about heaven, I want you to radiate heaven. I want you to glow. I want you to be almost supernatural. I want you to really express the beauty of heaven. He says, and when you, when you preach about hell, your normal face will probably do. You know? I can't tell you, uh, you know, I, I wish that we had kind of a, 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 a congregation cam that would kind of look at us and maybe flash it on the screen when we're worshiping, you know, when we're singing about the holiness of God, when we're thinking about, when we're singing about the, the it is well with my soul. We sang that last week and, you know, it is well with my soul. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes you can't tell if it's well with our souls or not. Uh, Because we need to let our face know what is on the inside of us. We're very good concealers, aren't we? Okay, so I'm just saying that uh, they made their faces show their piety. And I'm not saying you to do that. But I am saying, let your face reflect what you are on the inside. Let people know. Um, Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, they disfigure their faces. They show their piety. What was their reward? Because it says they got their reward in full sympathy yeah recognition of people yeah they got this sympathy and they oh poor you oh what a reward that is huh no thank you okay in verse 18 so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to the father who should know that you're fasting the father you know is it okay to tell other people you know i'm gonna fast i'm gonna pray i'm gonna do this is it okay to say that probably so but if you're doing it so that people will recognize your piety Don't do it. Let let the father know what you're doing. And it says about the father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, what's the reward of a fast? Some of us say when we have when we have breakfast, okay, when we break the fast and we eat something, that's a reward. okay? could be. But maybe it's the answer to prayer. Maybe it's the change of the condition of my heart. Maybe it's a change the way I see the world. When I fast, let's say that we were going you know, we to adopt a fast and we want to pray about uh, homeless people or poor people. Now, most of us, most of us would say that we're going to fast and, and we want God to, and here's how we're going to pray. Dear God, give them some money. Help them to get self-sufficient. Help them to do this. Help them to do that. However, when I start fasting, I start getting intimate with God and God says, you know what? And there's a song out there on Christian radio uh, that says something, why don't you do something about all this bad stuff? And the song goes, and God speaking, he says, I did, I created you. That should be the scope of our fasting and prayer. God, what can I do about this situation? What can I do? So empower me to do that. And God says to you, I want you to make 10 sandwiches tomorrow, put them in bags and go and distribute them. Okay, got it. Maybe he says that. I'm not saying God said that. But I'm saying that when we pray, He'll give us He'll give us kind of that prompting. And that's the third way that God lets us know that we're in tune with Him is that He reveals through nature, through what has been made, through the human body, through the complexity of all of that. He also reveals it through His Word. And He also reveals it to us in our spirit when He says, Hey, go do this. Okay? And I hope you've had those kinds of experiences. Okay? So now Jesus gives instructions about fasting. Okay, what what, in a nutshell it is this. Don't do it for the show of other people. Do it so that you connect with your Father and hear from Him. Okay, number two here, or the second little dot there. Jesus practiced fasting. Did you know that? There's a place in John chapter four, or Matthew chapter four, I'm sorry, where He's getting ready to go out and be tested. And and it says this uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, why would God do something like that? Why would God let Jesus be tempted by the devil? Was it for Jesus' sake? Was it for God's sake? No, it was for our sake. For those people who would come and observe Jesus' life, we need to know what kind of man is he? Okay, What kind of Jesus is he? And so therefore, he goes into the the wilderness to be tempted, And it says this in verse number two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Go figure. Hungry. Did you know that when you fast after about the third day, you don't feel hunger? You know, after about the third day, you don't feel headaches anymore. Did you know that if if you fast, you might get a headache? You know why? Because you have too much caffeine in your diet and you have too much sugar in your diet. And that's how your body reacts to that. Once that's purged out of your system, the headache goes away, the hunger kind of goes away too. Uh, now, I've noticed, though, my desire for food never goes away, even if I'm full to the brim. But, you know, we have, that's part of the sacrifice thing. Okay, so now, Jesus goes out and he's tempted. Now, what was the temptation? You know, Satan takes him out and he says, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. And the temptation was for Jesus to be less God and more human. okay. And so Satan was going to give him some stuff. I'll give you dominion here. You bow down and worship me. I'll do this. I'll do that. okay. And Jesus always responded to him with scripture uh, because he knew the truth. And the truth is what set him free from this temptation. Same would be true for us. When we're tempted, if we know some scripture regarding that temptation, it can set us free from that temptation. But Jesus, he defines what kind of man, what kind of savior he's going to be. He's not going to be one controlled by other people. He's not going to be controlled by Satan. He's not going to be controlled by the most powerful, but he's going to be the kind of guy that says, I know what is true, and the truth is what I'm here to proclaim to you. Okay, number The third little dot there. The early church practiced fasting. In fact, we see it in our passage today, Acts 13.3. So after they had fasted and prayed, okay, they fasted and prayed, the church did as a unit, they fast and pray. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, Saul and Barnabas. They said, okay, we're going to send these guys out to be missionaries. And we want to commission them by laying our hands on them, signifying the power of the Holy Spirit in them. And then we're going to send them off. But we're not going to do it willy-nilly. We're going to do it because God has said to do it. We're going to do it because we have fasted, we have heard God, we have prayed, we've responded to God, and now we send them out, not because we want them to go do this, but because God wants them to go do this. And so they they have that. Now, real quickly, we're going to wrap it up. Considerations before fasting. Number one, fast when you're directed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, a lot of people will tell you, I want you to fast for this. I want you to fast for that. And there are times when the church here in Acts chapter 13, they were brought together to fast for a common revelation of God. We need God to reveal to us what we should do with this church so that other people can hear the word of God. We need to send some people out. We need to figure out how to do that. So we need to pray as a church and do that. So there's times where we can do that. Okay, number two, exercise trust when fasting or faith. Exercise trust. Trust and faith. Yeah, now, how can, sometimes we want to do something and, and it requires us to overcome a habit to do it. Okay? My habit is hunger. <laughs> and my habit is I get very satisfied when I eat. And so therefore, I have to overcome that. So I have to trust God that if I miss a meal or two, I'm not going to die. Now, some of you, however, have health conditions that require you to eat regularly. Hear me say this clearly. Don't violate what your doctors have told you to do, unless God trumps that, you know, you have to weigh that. But I'm saying, you know, take care of your health. Third thing, know why you're fasting. Now, there's two reasons to fast. One is a spiritual encounter with God. The other is a physical benefit. There's a lot of physical benefits that come from fasting. In fact, uh, when Cindy and I were first married, I would fast every Monday. And uh, i tell you, the health benefits were tremendous. Uh, I probably should do it now, but, you know. After, after so many years of eating. Cake. cake. Who said cake? <laughs> oh, Rob, come on. You're making me hungry. Um, but that, you know, sometimes we fall out of habits that are good for us. And so my body will show you that. Okay, Fasting doesn't have to be lengthy. It doesn't have to be a 40-day fast. Jesus went on a 40-day fast. I read of about a guy this last week, a, a, a pastor, who went on a 40-day fast. And he went on a 40-day fast, and the first three days he didn't eat or drink. Now, there could be some danger to that, folks, because how many days can you live without drinking? Three. three. About three days. You know, uh, Have you ever heard, back in the 60s, there were some guys that were in prison, and they went on a, on a hunger strike. Not a fast, but a hunger strike. And I remember one guy. One guy went 63 days, and then he died. Okay? Not eating can kill you. Okay? Not eating can kill you. So that's why I'm going to suggest to you that if you practice fasting, that you do it initially for a short period of time, maybe a day. Okay. Now, day fasting is, is healthy, but remember, you're going to experience the headaches, you're going to do all that stuff, and you never get past that. So when you get, if you do like maybe a three-day fast and you can get past that, don't reintroduce those things that caused you to have headaches, and maybe you'll be a little better off. Just a healthy thing. Remember, there's health benefits to fasting. Uh, and the last thing, when fasting, spend time reading the Bible. Now, did you know that reading the Bible is tantamount to praying? Because when you pray, there's two elements, right? I'm speaking, but I need to hear. And when I read the Bible, that's when I've got my ears on so that I can hear what God has to say. And I believe it's vital, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be Christian on the inside, that you hear God. That you don't just come to church and say, oh yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff now to believe. It's vital that you, on a personal basis, hear God. And so that's what reading the Word does. That's what I wish, remember Bill, when we did the truth project, there was an, uh, a segment on science. And in this science part, uh, there was this, um, this uh, little discussion about the flagellum motor, which transfers protein, I think, and maybe it's amino acids or something, uh, within your cell. And it's a little, it's a, me- a, a device, a mechanical device. And it has to be assembled in a certain order. And it has several parts to it. They're all absolutely necessary to it functioning. Okay, If one of the parts is left out, it cannot do its job. If they're assembled in the improper order, it will not work. And so therefore, uh, the the transference of this protein, amino acid, whatever it is, um, with this flagellum motor is vital to the, the procreation of cells. Now, when I look at biology on that level, I realize... There has to be somebody that designed that. That didn't just happen. And so therefore, when I come to this thing about reading the Bible, I want to hear God. But if I don't believe God exists, you know, we go back to our worldview. If I don't believe that God exists, and I believe that we're just kind of this evolutionary process and just ended up the way we are, some, you know, sixty-five hundred thousand billion, as a kid would say, chances to one of that happening You know, I have to say, well, you know, that develops that. And I I can erase God. I don't have to listen to that. But if there truly is a God and I hear him, I can respond to him.